Welcome everybody to episode 237 of the Metabolus 2 podcast, which as always features David and Ben and another another Doctor Who episode. Another one. What? What's going on? <laughs> We're spoiled for Doctor Who goodness here. And... Well, why are they making all these shows for us? <laughs> wild Blue Yonder is the wild. latest episode. It was wild. Yes. Yeah, it was a wild. It was wild and it was in the Blue Yonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, goodness. Well, what to say about Wild Blue Yonder, David? Well, I liked it, actually. I thought it was a good story. I liked it, too. Okay. Get that out of the way. <laughs> it was a good story. Obviously, we're going to cover a lot in the podcast, I think, mm. as usual. But what I thought was interesting is the secrecy, which led a lot of fans to think, oh, someone's going to be coming back. It's going to be Susan. Um, <laughs> uh, it's going to be some other doctors. Mm-hmm. It was a multi-doctor adventure, let's face it. In a sense, yes, true. In a sense, but the secrecy, obviously, was to prevent us from finding out that there's only two people in it. Mm-hmm. Apart from, you know, obviously, Isaac Newton and his servant. Yeah. Um, and a CGI robot. Yeah, that was pretty unnecessary, though. That, I will, we'll address that, I guess, uh, later. But I thought the Isaac Newton bit, I'm not sure how that even tied in with anything other than a bit of uh, comic relief at the beginning. I have my theories, which... Um, okay. I, which, okay. So I actually, I like the Isaac Newton bit. Mainly because some people have found it to be infuriating and they've got very angry about it. So then that makes me like it more. Um, it's obviously, it was, it's a funny interlude. It's really not meant to be serious. Right. Um, the show isn't really teaching us about Isaac Newton and how he might or might not, might not have discovered gravity. Or mavity, as it was. Or mavity. <laughs> um, it was in there, I am convinced, to preserve Russell T. Davis's often stated... It's got to start, the first episode starts in planet Earth in real time, in everyday, everyday planet Earth. Right. The second episode goes into the past, mm. and then the third episode goes into the far future. Um, and he's always kept to that rhythm, um, and I think he just dropped in Isaac Newton just so that he could keep to his lucky rhythm of nowadays, past, and future. Mm, okay that's why it was done and i would say for people who are complaining about how it's not really teaching us about how isaac newton discovered gravity um having a tardis suddenly appear in an apple tree and then literally fly away afterwards at a time when actually very few things flew in the air especially heavy blue boxes that's not going to help him discover gravity at all in fact i would have thought at that point isaac newton would have gone like "Ah, actually you know what some things don't fall to the ground. Um, some things, like blue boxes, fly up in the sky. There must be some other explanation. So, yeah, I, it, it, that tells me it, it was just a it was a throwaway good luck joke. Um, yeah, kind of unnecessary though. I thought, and I guess it makes sense if he wanted to preserve his uh, backwards in time bit. But uh, hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, I'm, just, it, it, I'm just not convinced that it was worth it to do it. <laughs> I don't know. I, actually, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I like it, actually. The more I like the idea that Isaac Newton is like, uh, hang on, some things don't fall to the ground. Mm. <laughs> Mavity. Uh, I, I was going to discover gravity, but now I've seen that blue box fly up in the sky. I'm going to have to not discover gravity. All right. And then gravity was never discovered, and we all float about 
because gravity was never discovered, and that's and that's what happened. Up into the wild blue yonder. Up into the wild blue yonder. <laughs> anyway, pre-credit sequence. There you go. Throw away. Throw away line. Throw away. Um, they tied it back in for a couple of brief Donna and Doctor comments to me. I mean, you never know. I mean, maybe it's a toy maker scheme. And, um, you know, we discover that everyone's calling gravity Mavity now because, you know, the timeline's been altered or something. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> He knows what's going on. And you know what it is. It's a callback to In the Forest and the Night with Mave, Mavity, Mavity. Oh, yes. It is. It is. It's a shortened firm of Mavity, Mave. It's, it's a <laughs> callback to the much-loved In the Forest of the Night. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, a number one show of the uh, episode of the Capaldi era that everybody thought was amazing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that must have been. Uh, but, well, the tree is the connection. Exactly. Spoiler alert. Nobody <laughs> thought it was amazing. Everybody thought it was rubbish. Um Right, so, okay, we dealt, we dealt with the Isaac Newton part. <laughs> Let's get on to the meat and potatoes of the whole thing. Yeah, one big tunnel and then... One big corridor. CGI galore. <laughs> they were acting, this, the, the entire reaction shots with everything is they're just reacting against green screen and it just goes to show how far we've come from Underworld. Uh, and I think, actually, I read somewhere that RTD was referencing Underworld. That this is a callback in his mind, to the glories of Underworld, um, where <laughs> instead of acting uh, before a blue screen, everyone was acting before a green screen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like that. I mean, as, as everyone knows, I'm a big fan of Underworld, and I will not hear anyone criticize Underworld because it's, it's, it's excellent and very good, <laughs> and I like it very, very much indeed. And no, no fooling, I actually do. And yeah, you know, it's a silly show and sometimes uh, everything is just a green screen and it's a giant corridor. And that's a joke as well, because mm-hmm. obviously Doctor Who is, uh, you know, the cliche about it. it's about running up and down corridors. Um, right. And we have one character. One big, long corridor. <laughs> one big, long corridor with one character moving very slowly <laughs> down the corridor. And then a, an amazing role reversal. Instead of the, a monster t- chasing the doctor down the corridor, the doctor's chasing a monster down a corridor at the end. Yeah. 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 I actually thought the CGI was pretty good, to be honest. It was excellent. I think it was some of the best CGI yeah. that we saw. Yeah. Pretty I, convincing. I did not know until watching Unleashed where the sets began and ended. Yeah, I, the, the set was surprisingly small, actually. I yes. thought it was going to be bigger than that. And it was like, wow, that wasn't very big at all. Going back to Underworld, though, if it was a callback to Bob Baker and Dave Martin's Underworld. The glories of Underworld, yep. I really wish that Tennant would have said the quest is the quest somewhere along the oh, line. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, and that's an easy line to drop in. An easy line. There should have been the quest is the quest at some point, but mm-hmm. never mind. When he was trying to figure out the uh, horse hoof uh, vocabulary language there, he could have said, I think this says the quest is it's the just quest. quest. Or he could have just mumbled under his breath, the quest is the quest. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, so, the, ho- the horsey aliens, of course. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of the threat of doppelgangers uh, from the no no thing doppelgangers from beyond the? Um, it's a it's a pretty good threat beyond the universe. Yeah, a beginning or and end of the universe. Um, I think it's a pretty good threat. Um, I think obviously RTD was keen to write another impressive two hander, which is mainly about kind of words than monsters. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he is also on record in saying he dislikes multi doctor stories, but he's you know he did a multi doctor story. And it was about words. And that seems to me that that, you know, that worked very well. I mean, Doctor Who is all it has 
there are things from outside the universe that are trying to get in. That's established, you know, all the way from the antimatter monsters to, mm-hmm. you know, I guess the toy maker himself in some kind of way. And with House in uh, Doctor's Wife. And with House, exactly, yep. All of those things are about, and they're creepy, and they provide uh, some good creepy moments of cognitive dissonance. It's like, ah, what the hell's going on? And I, and I, all, and I think that all worked well. I, what really worked well for me, actually, was the the kind of horror of our heroes when the TARDIS vanishes. I thought that was excellently done mm-hmm. and really felt the, you know, the kind of bottom drop out of the story for like, you know, a minute or so. It's like, hang on, like there's no TARDIS right. and there's no sonic screwdriver. Right. And so, okay, what happens now? Which I think is, you know, pretty good. And then to throw in, again, a pretty impressive callback, which is the Hads, right. um, which is pretty obscure Doctor Who lore. I thought that was very, very good plotting and mm-hmm. really, 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 uh, really worked well for me. What I liked is it's a callback to kind of the Hartnell era where you have the time team exploring for the first part of the story without any other characters or creatures or aliens in there. And you kind of get the perspective of somebody's watching them. But I, I like that. And I'm always a sucker for like wheel in space episode one or the ark in space episode one where it's just the principles the doctor and companion um exploring a space and so i i gravitate (laughs) gravitate to those kind of stories you mavitate you mavitate i I mavitate to those kind of stories yeah well and and also i mean i guess a bit like um mind robber episode one as well yeah in in a way yeah yeah including a mysterious white robot Mm -hmm. Uh, there's only one of them but um yeah no, exactly. Yes, those are always effective and kind of chilling and mysterious in the right kind of way. Mysterious is a good word to describe it. I like how that forces the principles to interact with each other in a way that they wouldn't interact if there was someone else around. Because you obviously with the opening scene with Mr. Isaac Newton. That Mr. Isaac Newton to you, yes. It was almost a kind of smugness that Tennant and Rose had where right. they were laughing and joking with Queen Victoria, for example. Uh, right. Th- that everything's a big lark. But then when they're put in isolation, when they have to be the whole uh, Dr. Donna, you know, the tenant doctor is trying not to blame Donna for getting him in, in, in the mess and he catches himself because he's not like that anymore. And I think it forces us to look at these characters as how they relate to one another rather than how they fit within the what we're calling now the Hooniverse. Yeah, and I think we see them as actual characters as well, not a collection of quirks Mm. but as actual you know living breathing characters with you know i thought the 14th doctor's characterization so strong stronger i feel than tenant did for the 10th doctor and i think one of the strongest doctor characterizations we've seen really since almost since the Troughton era, you know, you really get the impression that this is a real person, Um, you know, not, you know, Tom Baker just being Tom Baker, Hmm. um, you know, or Colin Baker being Colin Baker or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very impressive and made me kind of like a bit sad that we've got one more, we've only got one more episode of David back again. Yeah, I watched this with my lovely wife and Rita said that she was really kind of sad that this was halfway through because she thoroughly enjoyed it as well. And sort of like we are only going to get three here with Tenant back. And it's it's kind of bittersweet. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, they've both, Tennant and Tate have got such great on-screen chemistry. You know, it's clear that they're good friends and they have affection for each mm-hmm. other kind of outside of the show. And that plays into their characterizations as well. And, I mean, just the way that, um, I mean, I've watched it twice now. I did a I did a rewatch. And the kind of subtle ticks you get that tell you that, um, well, obviously there's the cutting, which kind of gives the whole thing away. But, you know, that one of these that there is a false doctor and a false donna and a real donna and a real doctor. Very, very good. Very subtle acting from, from both of them. The kind of smirk that the the no-thing Donna has when she gains access right. to the TARDIS is absolutely <laughs> right. chilling. And it's like, it was really mm-hmm. sort of moment like, oh, God, are they really going to go there? Um, is the next mm-hmm. episode going to be there's an evil Donna at large? Then you get the kind of slightly silly, like the TARDIS now has a kind of a tipping mechanism where it can throw people out the door. Um, which uh, I felt was a little bit of a letdown. But anyway, I mean, that was just a great moment, a great moment. Well, it's sort of a reminiscence of the enemy of the world where the TARDIS door is open and out goes uh, Salamander. I didn't think of that. That is, with thinking about doppelgangers, that's... Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. So it is kind of a callback, but done in a RTD sort of uh, farting wheelie bin comedic kind of way. <laughs> yeah, it is, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I, just some, some great acting, some great acting going on. And since you did bring up Tom, I guess I could totally see Tom Baker and Liz Sladen doing this story. This, yeah. to me, Fair. seemed yep. to fit within a oh, season 13 yeah. type vibe where you have that bit of horror and it's at the edge of the universe you know we we were it's sort of a it's sort of a play on planet of evil where they're at the farthest and right, farthest right. out into the future that they can go type storytelling as far as you can go yeah planets on the edge of the universe yeah no you're right i mean maybe i've just i just actually done a rewatch of deadly assassin because i fancied it mm. um it could have been a tom and tom episode just tom playing against tom and like the only being the only person in it was tom Mm-hmm. just doing tom things um but yeah no it's it's it, you're 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 right you're right it had that it had a and again i've seen a lot of complaints online about where's our multi-doctor story like where's the old companions i actually think what rtd's doing here is he's he's actually referring back to you know earlier stories and earlier mm-hmm. doctors and earlier companions notwithstanding that actually you know we are getting a doctor companion pairing from 15 years ago so mm-hmm. yeah this is an anniversary story yeah um and i think i to me it's 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 actually kind of subtle and kind of actually very effective as a as a 60th anniversary celebr not you know celebration without the dimensions in time sort of ridiculousness that sometimes has afflicted the doctor mm-hmm. who tv program when it has something to celebrate yeah personally i'm pretty tired <laughs> pretty tired of uh, multi-doctor stories and i think this is a a refreshing approach to do it um i'm not sure i would have done it as the 14th doctor but it's again that's just window dressing on the canon so to speak but it it is really nice to see a doctor we haven't seen for 13 years a companion we haven't seen for 15 years effectively having new adventures and just just think back how nice it would have been if Back in, say, 1993, uh, if Tom and Louise got together and had three specials for the 30th anniversary. Or 1983, and we had, you know, Billy Hartnell and, um, I don't know, Vicky come back and do some specials. You know, it would have been, it would have been amazing. 
um, and very welcome. Um, and I think the kind of four I forums that I skulk around in are kind of you know classic Who fans, and they tend to be not really understanding that actually for kids who are now not kids. Mm-hmm. This is a callback, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, I, I was I was 10 when I last saw Donna and now I'm 25. Right. <laughs> um, you know, which is pretty that's a pretty major. That's a pretty major change mm-hmm. in someone's life. Although. Um, and it, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. The, you you go ahead. <laughs> I, didn't know I was just going to say it would have been there. really hard for Hartnell to return in 83, having passed in the 70s. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining a lovely universe where he wasn't uh, ill okay, and sorry. came back. <laughs> And uh, yes, no, yeah, obviously that would have been weird. The zombie. Sorry, going pedantic. Uh, no, uh, 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 yeah, be, you know, uh, being pedantic about things is exactly what this podcast <laughs> should be about. But um, yeah, I, I mean, so, you know, for my daughter, which we, my eldest child, which we watched this with, um, the last time she saw the Tenth Doctor and Don Noble together um, was when she was ten years old. Wow. Actually, slightly later than that because I think mm-hmm. we watched these on disc. Right. Um, but more than a decade ago. And I think mm-hmm. that was a good watch for her. I mean, she didn't really care for for the Star Beast, hmm. um, but she very much liked this episode. Yeah. So that was good. To, that was good to see. Good, good, good. And yeah. a comment that we made during The Power of the Doctor that it was nice to see women basically of our age in a title role. Again, Catherine Tate is in her 50s. Yeah. David Tennant is in his 50s. So it's really nice to see uh, in Doctor Who, once again, people our age. Older getting, people getting you looking. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to do the action, getting to do the story. So for, you know, my money, that's really nice to see, too. It's kind of a uh, affirmation of my fandom. Yeah. And it's, you know, in terms of diversity and getting, you know, different kinds of people onto the show, this is exactly what we should be doing. There should be older people involved. And I think Doctor Who is actually one of the very few shows where there is a, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there are strong, relevant parts for people who have passed the age where they're attractive to the general culture, if you see what I mean. Right, um, right. And, and I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are both looking great, to be honest. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, you know. Tenet uh, especially, it's sort of like, wow. Wow, if, yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering if that was a stunt double running down the endless hallway or not, because he was booking. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's, he's not... He's, he looks like he's even lost weight rather than gained weight. I'm imagining <laughs> myself 15 years ago and how I am now. But yeah, no, I'm good for him. Good for mm-hmm. him. Well done, David. You're looking you're looking very good for your age. And it was wonderful in the conclusion to see uh, Bernard Cribbins, Wilford Mott, one one final time. Yeah, and I, in Doctor Who, it was so good that they could do that. I mean, obviously, you know, the whole kind of thing about Bernard Cribbins is he just loved performing. Mm-hmm. He never was going to retire, um, right. and this show gave him an opportunity not to retire. Mm-hmm. And to have him back again for his final performance was absolutely perfect and just yeah. right. And yeah, and he gave a good performance he for did. someone who was ninety three. Um, yeah, well done, <laughs> both him and William Russell are really mm-hmm. giving everyone the run for their money in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, I guess this was his final scene, so we won't his, see him yeah. next in Giggle. But for an anniversary series, yeah. for the, the middle episode in a three-part anniversary series, that kind of <laughs> pulled at the heartstrings again. So I think Absolutely. RTD is again doing what 
what he does very well is accessing the feels. Yes, the the vibe is feels basically. That is the vibe of the RTD show mm-hmm. is is all the feels, um, which as it should be really. You know, it, this is a you know this is a it's a fundamentally sort of non-serious show so it's entirely appropriate that in some ways the main thrust of it is people feeling stuff mm-hmm. yeah i watched it a second time last night and the first time it seemed to be very uh, not slow but just very methodical it, it's almost reminded me of that robot jimbo walking down the corridor that it seemed like there is step and then step and then step but then i watched it last night again and it went by at a clip. It wasn't, it's sort of like, okay, oh yeah, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens. So it's interesting in, for me in a Modern Who episode that I felt like it had rewatch ability, that it was more than throwaway television. So I think this one is going to be a story that I might return to more frequently than others. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely it's well paced and there is for something where essentially there's not much going on, there is a lot going on and that as you say that kind of deductive pace of like okay and then this and then this and then this really very well done, well directed and uh, well acted and well written. Mm-hmm. Well written. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the, uh, and I've got my own theories, so I'm asking you first. What do you think of the space horse skeleton? Uh, I th- well, honestly, my thought, my thought is that RTD does not conceive of aliens very well. And so this is kind of like cat people. <laughs> Why not have horse people? <laughs> True. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's, he, he didn't see an animal which he didn't want to make into an alien. Rhinos or giant flies or, or, or uh, I guess we've already had dog people, right. haven't we? Right. Um, that's yep. already been With, taken. Uh, Chibnall. Chibnall. Chibnall took that trick. Yep. Yeah. Well, so, so I, again, uh, poking around, Paul Schoons, the expert in the history of the Doctor Who comic strip, mm-hmm. reminded us that in 1975, the Doctor did meet a race of spacefaring horse people called the Equinians. Okay, so maybe this was the Equinian spaceship. It could be the Equinians. It could <laughs> okay. be an Equinian, an Equinian spaceship. And, you know, I'm sure, 1975, I'm sure the young Russell T. Davis was avidly reading. Um, uh, I guess it would have been, I don't know, TV TV comic, I suppose this would have been in. So, yeah, I, it, I think it's the Equinians. I think the, okay. the return of the Equinians. And I think next week we're just going to see a full-on Equinian invasion <laughs> or something. Just led by the toy maker. Led by the toy maker and his, and his group of alien horses. Um, the other thing, actually, that it really reminded me of, and this is something that I think actually what this is, um, there is a – and we all know that Russell is a, is a proud Welshman yep. and he's very into the culture of his country. There is a Welsh being called the Mary Lude or the Grey Mare – Hmm. which is a horse skeleton, which I think is New Year's, is either New Year's or Christmas. One of the, I think at the turn of the year, this horse skeleton comes around to your house and you have to sing it a song and then it will go away. And it basically, it's... Does that song have to be Wild Blue Yonder? Uh, uh, possibly. <laughs> I think nowadays it, it should be because of this. So basically the Mario Lude is basically the skull, it's the skull of a horse on a stick mm. and people kind of bring it around to your house. And I think that's what this is. I'm not entirely sure how that fits in, but I'm thinking that that's what Russell was, was thinking of when he said, okay, it's got to be a big horse skull. 
Is there anything with superstition and salt in this uh, gray mirror? Oh, well, there is the salt thing, of course. Yeah, um, I should look that up. I haven't, I haven't looked that up. But yeah, there might very well be a connection. I mean, the salt thing was also reminding me of the Fendal. Yes. Who also, are they from the beginning of time or outside the universe? They are from the beginning of the time. I'm not sure if they're outside the universe or not. Yeah, but definitely, yeah, I, I, I had not made that connection until you just said it. Yeah, obviously, I think there's some Fendal stuff going on in there as well. And they appear via a skull, not a horse skull. But yeah, they do, skull. yeah. Yeah, hmm, interesting. I mean, what, what's in, well, obviously, I mean, to be pedantic for a second, if an Aquinian captain had um and again i think where it connects with mary lewd again we, we're told that it's a mare and the mary lewd is a is a mare as well uh, i don't know how they would have decayed to a skeleton in space because it's space and you don't decay artistic license there you go okay and it would have been weird just to have like a big a big unnatural horse head floating mm-hmm. around that would have that would have looked odd it's a, it's a dead horse um anyway yeah yeah well no mm. sense kicking a dead horse <laughs> Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Obviously, the salt must be the superstition at the edge of the universe letting something in. It was heavily, heavily seeded or heavily implied by the doctor referencing it again at the end. So this probably has to do something with the toy maker. Yeah, I mean, is the toy maker one of these no things? Could be, I guess. Could be. I don't know. I mean, does he? Do we know where the toy maker comes from? I, I, he's mm. like thousands of years old or something, right? Right. According to well, the, when we last saw the toy maker, which was in the Celestial Toy Maker back in the Hartnell era, what is it, season three? Yeah, yeah. And the, and of course, uh, the canceled season twenty three story, the Nightmare Fair, would have been the return of the toy maker, and that's a good, good uh, Colin Baker story. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I don't know of anything that suggests his immortality or not. I, for the longest time, always thought he was just another Time Lord, but uh, right. perhaps yeah, not. Uh, maybe he's a Toy Lord. <laughs> we already know that there's Warlords um, and Time Lords, and maybe there's maybe there's Toy Lords. So he works for character options. There you go. <laughs> he's, he's, he's what's his name? Um, can't remember the guy's name. The character options guy. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's an evil being from the outside of the universe, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think he has been reinvigorated by this encounter that the Doctor and Donna have had on the edge of the universe. It was good, and I know I hated it, but I think it was good that we referenced Flux in this. That you know the universe is smaller mm-hmm. than it used to be, mm-hmm. um, thanks to the whole Fluxy excitement, mm-hmm. and therefore getting to the edge of it presumably is easier because it's nearer near the edge yeah it's closer everything's closer it's closer everything's closer together because there's less of the universe than there mm-hmm. used to be thanks to the thanks to the flux excitement um i we, i think it's um i think it's you know it's, it's respectful for rtd to reference his predecessor's nonsense um in a way that makes sense i like that and i think it also will uh clamp down any hopeful revisionism where <laughs> It was all a dream, right. Jody didn't exist. We went from, well, see, we went from Tennant to Shooty. There was no Smith. There was no Capaldi. There was no Whitaker. Yeah, it was just, it was all a dream. (laughs) David Tennant comes out of the shower going like, what was that? (laughs) 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 Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's enough of that. Yep. (laughs) Welcome to the (laughs) Dallas podcast. (laughs) Exactly. We discuss an episode of Dallas. Um, There is a Dallas podcast, right? I'm sure there is. There must be. Wow. 
that's niche. Um, anyway, <laughs> says the Doctor Who podcast. Says the says the, the the wildly popular Doctor Who podcast. Um, yeah, I, I, it's it's it's. Uh, I think that's good. You know, I mean, why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not keep all that stuff in? I have to admit, I didn't. I mean, I guess they also included the Timeless Child, right? By you know, you weren't born on Gallifrey, right? Kind right. of. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I like the way that those inclusions of previous law didn't have to deal with the stupid bits of it. I mean, I think it's nice that, you know, obviously the universe has been destroyed, you know, on several occasions. Um, you know, the master had a good crack at it with the goblet, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we already retconned in that the doctor is half human in some way. And, okay, now he's not born in Gallifrey. That's, that's also fine. So, um, you know, he was born somewhere near Gallifrey. Uh, from from parts unknown, maybe the same place the toy maker came from. I don't know. Maybe the toy maker is the doctor's father. Whoa! <laughs> Instead of because uh, he was saying, was he telling? Let's see. No, the replicant, the doppelganger doctor was telling the real Donna that he would have liked Wilf as his father. Right. So, which would expose if we were to believe that they have access to their inner monologue right. that would expose something that the doctor was feeling and then perhaps uh, the toy maker is the doctor's father i don't know wow isn't the doctor's <laughs> father like ulysses yeah but that was never filmed so i know i'm joking i, I i'm so glad that was never filmed really that oh. is really <laughs> You'd have liked to have the doctor's father called Ulysses. You know, we met the doctor's mother. That's that's true. You know, all bets are off because every showrunner is going to reinvent the reinvent the show in whichever way he or she, hopefully, she in the future uh, chooses. That's true. Yes. Yeah, maybe the toy maker is. I'm. I. I. I'm hoping that the toy maker is a creature from outside the universe. Um, I don't want the toy maker to be just another time lord. I think we've had time lords now, and I'd like to have. I like the toy maker to have kind of Q style, ridiculous powers. Um, I always enjoy a ridiculous power person, and um, yeah, that's that. That's my bet for the toy maker. He's just a. He's just a malevolent, a malevolent presence from outside the universe. Uh, probably hangs out with the Guardians and the Eternals from uh, Enlightenment. Yes. <laughs> he's the Guardian of Toys or something. He's not the Black Guardian. He's the Toy Guardian. There you go. The Guardian of the Toy. Celestial Toy Box. The Celestial Toy Box <laughs> guy. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's all going. It's all going on. It's all going on in Doctor Who. Yeah. So for not having an expansive cast, there's only, uh, what, five credited characters it's another bottle episode a la midnight with a smaller cast and i think more focused on rather than how others see the doctor but then how the doctor and donna see themselves right uh what did you think about the whole uh dysmorphia of getting arms right or legs right or I thought it was a clever trick with the necktie when the doppelganger doctor took it off and then it disappeared yeah very good yep that was all very well done that was all excellent business that all felt plausible if this is about plausibility which it kind of isn't um, but felt you know in in universe made sense mm-hmm. that these creatures are slowly very slowly learning well like the like the midnight creature slowly learning how to be what they want to be which is you mm-hmm. and is kind of threatening and cool and you know just looking at the because obviously we're watching this on disney plus um and looking at all the other roster of other stuff on disney plus 
what we want for Doctor Who, if it's on, going to be on this global platform, is we want it to be telling stories that other shows don't tell and other shows literally cannot tell. And I think this was a good example of this is a, this is a story that it would be hard for any other show to have the strength to do, basically. Hmm. You don't think it would work in a Star Trek-type environment? Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm still thinking about the horrible Loki that we finally come to the end of. Um, where, like, <laughs> Yeah, of course they could do Tom Hiddleston and Tom Hiddleston's friend meet opposite kinds of themselves. Mm-hmm. But then what is bad for me, what is irritating about that show is that it desperately has to link itself into every aspect of the established Marvel continuity in a way that Mm -hmm. if you're not that fussed about Marvel continuity, it just looks idiotic. And I think what's awesome about Who is that it doesn't really care about its own continuity that much and can do episodes that are self-contained like this one Mm -hmm. um, and have fun resonances with continuity that fans like us can pick up. But people who aren't fans, is yeah, this is just a creepy idea. If this is a ghost story in space. This is like Event Horizon, only for kids. <laughs> you it know, is, or, yeah. the thi- or The Thing for mm-hmm. kids. And that's awesome, because this is the only show that could do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. This is why this show is the best. What do you think of the slow motion countdown? The whole concept that what what the the captain the horse captain did was set this slow motion thing because uh the no things couldn't figure out something that was happening slowly yeah i i liked it it kind of doesn't work when you start to think about it like well why wasn't the voice in slow motion as well hmm. so it's less of a slow motion countdown rather than it's a countdown that happens instead of every second you're counting down you're counting down every hour Mm -hmm. Um, or every day, Mm -hmm. however it was being counted down. I mean, obviously, that's the resolution. That's the overarching threat, and it's the answer to the conundrum. Um, I probably thought it was the weakest part of the story, and it's Mm. a strong story. So that's that's my take on it. The one thing I think that bothered me about the story, and I did like this story quite a bit, is why the doctor and Donna were there in the first place. And I guess it can be simply explained to dumping the coffee into the console, but that seems pretty weak sauce to me. Right. That if they didn't show up at all, the outcome would have been exactly the same. Oh, yeah, you're right. Why the TARDIS generally brings the doctor to a place to make a difference. In this case, by bringing the doctor to this place... It would have been a negative. It almost would have been a negative difference. He didn't really make a positive difference. He just kept what the plan already established by the captain going forward, accelerating it. But the only reason they needed to accelerate it is because they were there figuring it out. I had literally not thought of that. That's why you're smarter than I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, well, I, 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 yeah, you are right. The outcome would have been the same whether they were there or not. Mm-hmm. And as again, as you quite accurately point out, the TARDIS usually brings the Doctor and his companions to a place where something needs to happen to make things better or the same or worse or something. Yeah, like with the Meep, the Doctor needed to be there to right, figure right, out the Meep. Right, right. But this is the, the 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 only thing the Doctor and Donna were doing was potentially upsetting the Aquinians' plans right. to you know get rid of the 
get rid of the no things. Yeah. So yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're you're right. I mean, you know, obviously, it's a story, and Russell wanted to write a story for these two actors where it was just the two of them, mm-hmm. and he wanted to do something as clever as Midnight or as any number of Moffat stories where it's all about the writing and it's all about the dialogue, and Jimbo and the Bomb was the the resolution of that mm-hmm. and like all resolutions it's very often not as satisfying as the the non bit the non resolution bit of the story mm-hmm. so yeah no you're right absolutely right i had literally had not thought of that but you are entirely correct yeah i take my hat off to you you well. are king you are king <laughs> of this podcast and i'm just your servant oh, okay well for this week <laughs> for this so, week at least yeah yeah i just i just wonder about that it is a different story where literally the doctor and companion, anything and everything they do basically is going to cause problems. They just need to get the heck off the spaceship and let the natural order of things happen. Right. And unfortunately, they can't get the heck off the spaceship because of the TARDIS. So actually, it's the TARDIS is, is the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TARDIS brought them there and the TARDIS left them there. Did you understand the explanation of why the HAD system brought them back when the self-destruct was going to happen? Because the danger was too great? The I didn't danger under- was past because it had exploded? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, again, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It seems like a pretty thin window of opportunities that when <laughs> when everything is destroyed, it's no longer a problem. Well, actually, then you've been destroyed. So you've got a, right. you've got a microsecond in between that thing and the next thing to Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know yeah hmm yes you're also right about that i know not very not entirely convincing okay so it's a head scratcher in that way and where the i think the joy and the enjoyment of it is for me the the walking around the exploration and the interaction between donald noble and the doctor right yeah exactly that's what the story is Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and it's all the kind of packaging is you know, an excuse to have that dialogue and that acting experience. And yeah. one final question. Why did he drop the definite article <laughs> at the beginning of the title? So instead of the wild blue yonder, like we have the star beast and the giggle, why we just have wild blue yonder? What does it, does it sound better? I'm, <laughs> this is a cute oh, yeah, pedantry. <laughs> so what is the song called the wild blue yonder or is it, or is it called wild blue yonder? Uh, I mean, maybe you couldn't, maybe it's copyright. Maybe, but maybe no. the U S air force would come and like drop a smart bomb on him. If they used, if he used their actual song, the official name of the song is the U S air force song often referred to as Wild Blue Yonger. <laughs> the U.S. Air Force song. Often referred to... Other, otherwise known as Off We Go. Called Off We Go? Wow. No, the, the name, the title of the song is the U.S. Air Force song, alternatively known as Off We Go or Wild Blue Yonder. So, so okay, so you dropped the definite article because the song is called Wild Blue Yonder. I mean, it yep. would have been weird to have a, an episode called Off We Go, because that's kind of what happens every week, really, with Doctor <laughs> Who. Like, they go, they go somewhere. Uh, well, the third third line is "Meet Our Thunder." That would have been a good name for a story. Oh yeah, "Meet Our Thunder." Yeah, wow. Maybe they could just do like just a whole a series on the U.S. Air Force, song. just based on on, <laughs> on 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 phrases from the U.S. Air Force song, or or "Off We Go" as it's often called. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'll have to say, 
I had no idea. I'd never heard of the US Air Force song. Really? I'd never heard of Wild Blue Yonder. I'd never heard of Off We Go. I don't know the tune. I don't know the lyrics. I'm sort of astonished that Russell T. Davis knows those things. Well, I'm actually equally astonished that Donna Noble was singing it when she was a primary school because I never sung Wild Blue Yonder when I was a primary she, school. So she was, she grew up in Southampton, right? Was that what the, the bit with Donna was? I thought it was Portsmouth. Wasn't Portsmouth. Was Is there a U.S.? military base nearby could it could there be some no there isn't okay so that is a leap yeah i mean she's been brought up in you know norfolk or somewhere that would have made sense because there's plenty of mm-hmm. like u.s or you know even actually in the cotswolds where where my family are, are often mm-hmm. based there's a big air force u.s air force base yeah. there at bryce norton Cause it, so mm. yeah because the, the song predates second world war or is contemporary with the second world war yeah, when was it when was it written um 1939 uh, 1939 the music lyrics 1947 it says here um wow with scouts before and bombers galore hey these lyrics are insane yeah, I mean, well, if just from the first stanza, we have Wild Blue Yonder, then Into the Sun, another story, Meet the Thunder. Meet the thunder. Uh, give him the gun. Give him the gun. Flame from under. Hell of a roar. Down in flame. Down in flame. <laughs> um, yeah, it's this crate is, of thunder. Oh, world asunder. Skies a, to conquer. Th- this is this is a this is this is shooty series right here. This, These are all titles in shooty series. This is absolutely the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> At them, boys. Give her the gun. Um, <laughs> Rainbow's pot of gold. Oh Down we dive, spouting our flame from under. Um, <laughs> Reference oh. to Capaldi here, gray-haired wonder. Gray-haired wonder. This is nuts. Um, yeah, okay, <laughs> right. Uh, here, here, here starts the campaign that basically from now on, every episode of Doctor Who is going to have to be named from a line from this insane <laughs> from, song. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> gray, yeah, gray-haired wonder. Keep the nose out of the blue. Um, wow. It goes on forever. There's a lot of words to it. There are nine. No. Well, there's the nine? there's the current version of 2022. And then there's the original oh, version. There's, oh, and the original lyrics. Um, oh, my gosh. Yes. I don't know why they had to rewrite it. Then down we roared. Oh, the rainbow's pot of gold. <laughs> Blimey. Okay, right. Um, it said, it's an insane song that I'd not heard of. So, I mean, thanks to Doctor Who for introducing <laughs> me to uh, the, the Wild Blue Yonder. Well, so see, it was educational, just not in the way exactly. that Mavity All those people complaining that <laughs> we're, we're being miseducated about how Newton discovered gravity are wrong, because actually we are being educated on the song of the U.S. Air Force, which no one had ever heard of before, apart from people who are in the U.S. Air Force. Apart from Americans. It's a pretty common song over here. Well, well here's the thing. Had you, had you heard of it before? Oh, yes, very much so. Really? And yeah. But you didn't know the lyrics. You just knew that it existed. Well, I, I knew the beginning. Off we go in the wild blue yonder, climbing high into the sun. That that's first verse is pretty well known because it, okay. it used to play over. Like if you ever saw the blue, uh, no, Blue Angels? Blue Angels is Navy. Like if you ever saw the Thunderbirds, the Air Force Thunderbirds. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, it it was in the advertising. It's 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 a pretty common pretty common um anthem in military you would hear it in parading in marching when if you were at a parade and the u.s air force was marching okay now i'm excited because apparently all bits of the american military have their own song there's like an army song the u.s army's theme song is called the army goes rolling along 
Mm-hmm. The army goes rolling along. March along, sing our song with the army of the free. Count the brave, count the true who fought to victory. The, yeah, honestly, this country just gets more and more insane the longer I live here, to be honest. <laughs> um, I'm not sure the British well, army has its own special song. Uh, I hope not. I'm just going to look that up now. So we're getting way off topic. Um, please feel free I think to we should wrap it up. Feel free to stop <laughs> listening because uh, we're not talking about Doctor Who. I guess uh, it's a long way to Tipperary. Apparently, is the British Army song that seems well. That makes sense. Or the British Grenadier. Anyway, yes. Well, okay. All right. I think it's strange that military. Uh, that it's, I think it's fine that regiments and bits of the army have their own song. I think to have like a generic song for the entire army or air force or marines. I guess the marines must have one as well. Is strange. But there you go. Who, okay. who, who am I? Who am I to complain about stuff like that? <laughs> well, it was, uh, Apollo 15, when they lift it off from the moon, they play it while do yonder. Really? Yeah. I'm, 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 well, yeah. Because Scott and Irwin were Air Force. They're all Air Force people. Yeah, of course. Well, Pilots, of course, yep. they play yep. their special song that's about them. Yep. Yeah. Why not? Well, all right. Well, you, who, who wouldn't do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, any 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 final thoughts other than on uh, military uh, lyrics? Uh, no, I, final thoughts. Looking forward to next week. I hope it's going to be good. And I'm sad to see this this tar- this particular TARDIS team bow out because this has been too short. There should be more of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're busy people. And, and Shooty's waiting in the wings, waiting in the wings. And I'm he sure is, he'll be great. He'll be great, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. But th- there's always Big Finish. And there's always the expanded Hooniverse if... Uh, Tennant and Tate want to come back and do a one-off for a special? Why not? It's clear that they really enjoy doing stuff together, so I'm sure they will, actually. I'm certainly, I, they'll be doing more big finish. Because there's a rumor circulating that McGann is going to have a one-off expanded Hooniverse series, too. I I don't know how plausible that is, but... I'd, I'd, be, I'd be on board for that. I'm a big fan of the Paul McGann. More elderly uh, doctors, More, please. <laughs> I'm not sure he's wildly older than us, actually, Paul McGann, but still. No, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. about 10 years older, I think, than we elderly, are. Elderly, yes, yeah. in, his, in his early 60s. Yeah, I was uh, talking with Rita about pickleball, and I did point out that the seniors, <laughs> senior league for pickleball begins at 50. So wow, wow. <laughs> Yeah. I'm excited for um, Pickleball to be referenced in Doctor Who. Perhaps uh, Shooty and Ruby will be uh, playing Pickleball. There's certainly that TARDIS is big enough for a Pickleball court. Yeah, Pickleball got started in Seattle area. It did on Bainbridge Island, indeed, yeah. Yep, so maybe maybe they'll be there at the birth of Pickleball. The birth of Pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. I think we're all yeah. Right. We I think we've said yeah. all that needs to be said at this point. All right. Thank you for listening to episode two hundred and thirty-seven of the Metabolos Two podcast. I am about to go off into the wild blue yonder with Ben, and I am just ruminating on the origins of pickleball with David. <laughs> Until next time. Farewell. <laughs> Off we go into the wild blue yonder, climbing high into the sun. The wild blue yonder don't know the words or the tune. <laughs> Weird. <laughs>